welcome to a new episode of the Haptics Lab podcast. I'm Manu, design manager at Unity, and I'm joined by the Haptics crew, Ashley from Titan Haptics, Eric and Sarah from Interhaptics, and Jais and Harina from SenseGlove. The Haptics Club is a team of people that have a passion for haptics. Our goal is to raise awareness of the amazing tech and people in haptics and to foster interesting discussions on the subject. We are so happy to be here for yet another amazing season on the Haptics Club with even more surprises and new exciting guests. Speaking of that, disclaimer for the audience, this episode might not be safe for work. Right now, we are joined by Cal Mychulitz, aka QDOT. is one of the most outspoken, informative, and fun people in the space. You may have seen his 2005 Sexbox project, rewiring his Xbox feedbacks for sex toys. There is much to learn and talk about. We will divide the hour with a five-minute intro, then 15 minutes of questions on area of expertise, and 10 minutes on the future of haptics. We will, of course, cover challenges and opportunities on the haptics industry. Around the 30-minute mark, we stop the recording and open up the floor to the audience to ask our guests questions. So be ready. To anyone listening to our podcast, you're missing out. Be sure to visit thehapticsclub.com and sign up for our newsletter so you don't miss the next live chat. With that, let's talk haptics. Ashley, back to you. Ooh, all right. So excited to get this started. Kyle, what would be really awesome is if you can just give the audience a brief um, introduction to yourself and a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. So uh, first off, thanks for having me here. Uh, longtime fan of Haptics Club. Uh, so yeah, I am Kyle Mishulis, uh, also known as QDOT. So you may either know me as a haptics engineer or a fox on Twitter, uh, one of the two. So um, I run a company called Nonpolynomial, and our job is at least partially to get more people interested in working with haptics of all kinds, but specifically intimate haptics or adult haptics. So I've been working in the adult haptic space since about 2004, 2005, um, by way of everyone's early uh, pathway from internet to expert, I was a blogger. Um, so I started a blog back in 2004 about uh, all the engineering behind sex toys, kind of trying to get people more interested in engineering and like how like the programming, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, things like that behind sex toys worked. And then this little thing called the maker movement came along and did a much better job of it than I did. Uh, so um, at that point, I ended up pivoting over and working more on uh, uh, sex tech UX. So how do we get people interested in being intimate with platforms when they're already like scared to install their printer? Uh, it's a really hard problem. And throughout the past, creeping up on two decades now, it, it's only gotten different. It has not gotten easier. So uh, really a lot of my job these days is just trying to keep up, uh, trying to stay informed on what's out there, how people are accessing these technologies, uh, what new and interesting challenges are coming out of those things. And that's really kind of what non-polynomial is about. We do consulting for uh, sort of large scale um, sex toy manufacturers, kind of giving them the lay of the land of uh, what people are doing. And our main product is actually a research product. It's called a butt plug. So Buttplug is a library that allows you to access all sorts of different sex toys. I believe we're above 200 different toys now uh, for support. Uh, it allows you to access them all in the same way from 
hopefully whatever programming languages you want to use. So the idea here being like when you get one brand of toy that is a vibrator and another brand of toy that is a vibrator, just due to market conditions, you're not going to be able to control them in the same way. Like those two companies have made different ways to talk to their toy, different languages to use for it. What we do is we go out, we find those toys, we take all those languages and we combine them into one library. So all you have to do as a developer is just say vibrate and you don't have to worry too much about which vibrator, brand vibrator or what connection, is it USB, is it Bluetooth, whatever else that the user has. You just say vibrate and you know a device is there and we take care of the rest for you. And the whole idea there is to really open up this platform to people that may not have worked with haptics before. Um, certainly they might, have, they might have made a gamepad vibrator or something like that. But the thing that we get with, um, intimate haptics is the context of intimacy, which just that context alone changes so much. So uh, it's really about providing the largest amount of people uh, with that capability and then seeing what they do with it. And so far, it, the sky has been the limit. Um, we have a big old <laughs> um, application list at uh, awesome.buttplug.io that shows uh, quite a bit of what our uh, our users have been doing, and it's there's games, there's applications, there's plugins. It's it's all over the place. I love that. That's so awesome. And for a lot of people, they're still kind of new to the space and the industry, and they maybe don't comprehend all the different areas that um, you work within. So it's not just sex toys. It's um, like it's intimacy. It's like um, bridging accessibility. Can you maybe just give like a quick one minute overview of like for someone who's just new and you want to kind of like bring them up to speed of like what this is really all about? So at its core, um, the whole idea of sex tech is what happens if you hook a sex toy up to a computer and allow it to either allow the computer to control the sex toy in some way or allow the sex toy to provide feedback to the computer. So at, at its simplest and probably the what the largest market for this is, is just control the speed of a vibrator. So it's completely output based. Like you have a slider on a phone or something like that. You can either control yours or that slider goes to an application that goes to the network that talks to someone else's phone over the internet and that controls their vibrator. That would be what we know as teledildonics. So uh, at its core, that is it. Um, and where the interesting parts happen here, uh, at least for me, are sort of twofold. First off, there's the mechanics of it. Like, sure, we're controlling vibrators, and that's what most people know about. But I mean, that this can go all the way to six degrees of freedom um, axis arms these days, things like the OSR2 and SR6 that are uh, sort of uh, fleshlight manipulators that can rotate and have off axis tilting and things like that, that's uh, with a 300 uh, hertz update rate. It's pretty wild. Um, and then there's just also the context of the interaction. Are they are they wanting to use this for teledildonics? Is this a remote control thing? Do people want to use it through games? Do people want to use it through VR? Do people want to use it in Excel? Um, it's <laughs> We don't really know where the next interesting sexual interface is going to come from. But once you provide that context of intimacy, of sexuality on top of some sort of software, it provides this sort of usage multiplier that's so interesting to watch. So that's kind of the, the two aims that are happening there. In terms of the market right now, 
um, I, there, there is also a very large and heavy commercial side for, uh, for this in sort of quote unquote professional usage too, and that would be cam models. Um, so there is a large market of cam models that use these toys um, for things like tip-based uh, control. So a, um, a client of a cam model that would be in their room can like hit a button and suddenly the cam model gets $10 or something like that and it may change the speed of their toy. This is one of the largest uses of these kinds of toys right now. Uh, and this is uh, pivoting over into gaming too, um, where now like I personally even write software where you, um, you can recontextualize Rumble off a gamepad and send it to a, a sex toy. So um, instead of like your racing game, just making your gamepad vibrate, it'll also make your vibrator vibrate. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's one of those sort of like weird exponential growth things as we add this to more and more stuff, but that's just the way sex and intimacy work. It ends up showing up everywhere and a lot of places that you wouldn't expect. <laughs> that's awesome. What, oh God. Yeah, I love this because as usually it's like not safe for work, which drives new technologies. And it seems that it's really not safe for work that is driving the adoption of haptics on the big public. And it's, they thought it was VR, the next wave, but it seems that it's haptics. And well, uh, yeah, I mean, and it's, and, and VR is certainly driving this too. Like I would say more than half my work right now is related to social VR and intimacy. Um, it, and, and the interesting part about that is that's not just the haptics. Like right now, I mean, while I'm on a haptics podcast, I've been spending my last two weeks building a DIY uh, pupil tracking system because a large part of intimacy along with the haptics that we build for VR is facial tracking and the immersion of facial recognition and facial movement. So we have people that want to be able to glance and blink and stuff too. And that actually adds to the intimacy that the hardware they might be using also does. It's very interesting as well because in the past I have worked uh, for MindGeek, the company in Montreal that is responsible for Pornhub, Brazzers, Playboy, and so on. And at the time, I was really already into VR with the first uh, Oculus. And I remember that they worked on a product called the Bumblebutt. And it was the first time they were trying to connect videos with a haptic device, which was pleasuring device, obviously. But for the first time, they tried to put a layer of VR on top of it. And I remember the complexity and the logic that were going behind the user experience. Seven years later, now I've, I met you, Kyle, like two years ago, I remember at Immersion. And it's very interesting to see how it's not just applied for pleasure, like you said, it's implied for intimacy, but even also for wellness. And I wanted to ask you if you get any type of user feedback on the specific um, improvement of their life, in a sense. Uh, certainly, because anytime that anyone can use a device in the way that they want, that's going to improve their life. Um, I mean, they spent their hard-earned money on it, and that's the issue with being a, a manufacturer of intimate haptics, uh, especially if they're trying to lock down their own applications, or they simply don't know how to communicate with the developer community, is that that means that your the the usage of the hardware you are manufacturing is stuck to whatever you can provide the user. And there is probably no company out there that can or even wants to deal with every want from every one of their users. <laughs> um, it is, it is a, a, a vast rainbow of, of wants and needs out there. And um, it's impossible to understand them all. I mean, that's the, the reason that um, 
uh, we actually have a rule uh, for the developer community of Buttplug is that we stop where other people's interests start um, because all, all I can claim to understand is the library I've built and how to talk to these toys in a very, very technical way. Um, what we need though is someone to take that that last mile and take that to their their community whether it's uh some sort of orientation that or um body parts i may not share um or fetishes or something like that there's going to be some knowledge some lived experience that i absolutely cannot bring to this whatever it is they want um, and that's what they're bringing. And we get to like the bridge for this is the programming experience and the development experience. It's like, okay, you're working in this language. You want to use my library and you have all this other stuff. I can help you with the library part. And then you take it back to your community and you interact with them because we really cannot step over that boundary. Um, and that's the same problem that manufacturers have. So, um, yeah, it's uh, in terms of sexual wellness too. Um, there are products specifically for this. Um, actually, there's a, a really amazing uh, vibrator company called Lioness, uh, uh, L-I-O-N-E-S-S, and out of um, the Bay Area here, and they actually make a sensor-enabled vibrator for uh, tracking sort of sexual health. Like you can actually track different uh, aspects of your body during um, sexual activity. Um, and and get that data visualized in a really nice way. Uh, you can even share it if you're interested. Uh, and that's been super, super helpful to uh, some of their uh, customers, um, just allowing them to sort of explore themselves in a new way. And that's like, it's there's this really interesting problem here of like, how do you hand someone these numbers in a healthy way too? Uh, because when, they're engaged in sexual activity with your device, you don't want to hand them a grade card that has an F on it at the end. Um, that, that would be a very bad thing to do because when you make hardware like this, you are expressing yourself as an expert in this territory along with all of this techno magic around it. And so there comes this base level of trust that you you have with your your users. So you have to be extremely careful about how you present this information and um, and what your um, uh, what your customers can do with it. And they uh, Lioness does a great job with this, but that's that's cer some, certainly something that's being worked on right now. So yeah, we hear we hear from all sorts of people, um, both from our library and then just looking at the ecosystem too about why are people buying these things? How is it how is it helping them grow? with intimacy, with communication, with sexuality. And it's, it's, I'd say it's a net positive, um, but it's a very, very difficult um, uh, C to row. <laughs> That's awesome. In terms of like the, the development approach, um, how is this different from other folks in the space or in gaming or automotive, um, just from like a fundamental haptics development? We have to deal with so many different actuators um, that, I mean, that's actually part of what, uh, Buttplug was, uh, the, the library that we built is a sort of this very niche version of what happens if we try to build a universal haptics language. And I mean, the answer, it will always be, you fail. Um, but it's, it's just, 
how how far do you get before before you finally hit that like incompleteness point of like well I, I, there's something else I can't like describe here it's and th that's just an accepted like that's something you have to accept when you approach this problem um and it's fine too because it's like it, we trying to trying to um define the universal there is I, I'd never get anything done so it's like what how, how much of the niche can I at least carve out um and kind i need to jump in here i completely agree with you it's like <laughs> we do the same job for whatever it is not oddled and yeah you need to define your own perimeter and okay i do that here and outside no outside it's a, it's a shit show someone else is doing <laughs> this is exactly why i think i take mine if you're listening from the podcast you gotta watch it on youtube as well because you would have seen eric laughing before you <laughs> Because it's the same things that we do or somewhere else, exactly the same, exactly the same problem. And you have to define your war and you okay, this is my battle, nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's um a, and we've already progressed our perimeter far beyond just vibrators. So I though the internals of um butt plug currently work around sort of a, a verb um model where we have vibrate or rotate or stroke um we're we're moving now more to like and and we've actually already found the limits of that model because we now have things that can move in three or four different directions and we're not like uh really able to communicate that in our own language and so that's like i the library is five years old right now and we're already finding tons and tons of walls to run into um so in terms of building for that though yeah it, obviously there's vibrators and like that's that's one that's really well known it's like okay you we have we know this thing can have a speed between zero and 100 set that speed the end that's pretty easy um then we deal with things that have a speed but they're not vibrating they're moving back and forth um so they're oscillating that's that's one of the things we're actually having to work on right now um because we we have a message that says well move to if this toy can this toy needs to know where it is and you can move it to a position over a time but there's a lot of toys that don't know where they are they can just move back and forth faster or slower um we don't have language for that right now that's a problem uh there's a lot of people with like highsmith or lovins machines that are waiting for me to finish the next version of the library so they can use them um because we don't want to map vibrate to that because then as a developer you're like okay well i'm writing it uh, writing a game that makes the controller vibrate because obviously people are going to have controllers or in our context they're going to have vibrators and if I map that to a machine that moves back and forth especially a large machine that's able to overcome muscle contractions in the pelvic area which takes a surprising amount of force then I am actually losing the trust of my developers by giving them a context they don't actually have and I could injure my users, which is really scary. So, um, so I, I have to solve all of this through the API issue and that's really daunting and not only is there that then. Um, I keep talking about this uh, and I may i'll see if I can pull up a video of it. Um, Sorry, anyone that's on the podcast, but watch the YouTube. Um, so <laughs> there is this toy called the OSR2. Um, this is a, um, and I should have had this video prepared before 
I um, got on this podcast because I knew I was going live. To that podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm going to sit here and try to fill while I try to find the video. Um, <laughs> Oh, I, I would expect someone's ringing the door and bringing a pizza inside, and then that would be the best thing. Ah, oh, found it. <laughs> okay. We got it um, coming. So here we go. Detach tab. Um, and I will share my screen here. Um, so this uh, is the. Um, here okay so uh what you're seeing right now is a game called vertimate uh has it has quite a few thousand patreon users um so it's basically what we call a poke the doll game which is literally what it sounds like it's basically like dolls that you can pose and animate uh the osr2 is an open source toy that is run completely on a patreon project that was built for use with this game but is open source you can use it with anything but it actually has I believe the OSR2 has four degrees of freedom. The SR6 has six. So this moves up and down. It can tilt. Um, with add-ons, it can rotate. It can heat up. It has lubrication injection. Um, it has pressure regulation. So this is sort of our white whale with the library is, is there a way we can handle every single thing this toy throws at us um, with our language? Um, because the thing is, too, there's a user community. All these parts that you're seeing here are 3D printed. So there's a community that um, handles all of the stuff and creates new add-ons for it. And so that's my challenge is like I have to go from 95% of my users using just a vibrator and having just a speed and making them happy and 0.001% of my users 3D printing their own parts and putting multiple servos together and creating these uh, high frequency update, multi-axis uh, haptic systems that we have to like define like Bezier curve movement for and right. stuff. And it's like, how do I support both of those with the same API? And exactly. And those API, are, I guess, are very much different depending on those use cases, but even the yeah. type of interface they might have to design for. And when you were mentioning the video, there was, you know, there was listing those different movements, like you said, stroll, pitch, y'all, what we know about, you know, 360 movement. But that's also, as you said earlier, the multi-sensory aspect of haptics, which is not just vibration, you have pressure. Can you talk to us a little bit about maybe temperature? I, I, I heard that it's also something that is starting sure. to be more used in the teledeldonics. Uh, so yeah, temperature has been majorly important in uh, intimate technology for years, because if silicone is cold and clammy, that's not the nicest feeling in the world to start your activity with. Um, so there have been many self-heating toys for years and years and years. Um, and not only that, there's been like even accessories for toys. So um, for instance, with Ona holes, which is the professional term for something that would be like a flashlight or something like that. Um, you can actually, there's uh, a company Tenga that puts out really amazing forward thinking design on this stuff uh, and actually have like a heating stick. They can just stick in one um, and that's nice and modular. So we're starting to see this more in um, connected toys and connected technology now where it's like, yeah, just throw a heater in there. Uh, Lovence, um, who's one of, probably the largest manufacturer of this stuff, um, uh, at least for the community that I deal with, um, is um, 
uh, they've just started releasing heated toys. Um, so I, and I, and, but the, the interesting part is it's like heating of the toy is not, um, not going to be the only thing. Like I, I would, I would almost consider something like the Ember Wave to possibly be like, while it's a, a temperature regulation technology, that could very much also be an intimate technology too, yes. because it, it can bring like, uh, so for people that aren't familiar, the Ember Wave is a, um, a, a bracelet that you wear that can actually help you internally regulate temperature by changing the temperature on your wrist. It, um, so it can both actually- both hot and cold, right? Yeah, yeah, it can make you feel warmer or colder without the actual airflow around you changing. Um, and so even that could be seen as a, an intimate technology there because it's going to sort of set the stage for you. Um, so yeah, um, thermohaptics is super, super important. Um, and, and I want to add maybe quickly, and again, sorry for cutting sure. you, but I know this is Ashley's question, but it's so interesting at that moment, I want to <laughs> add another level to it. So you, we talked about the complexity of the software side, now about the multiplicity of different hardwares. I remember the complexity also of the position of the toy. Like you said, we don't really know where it is. Some toys have sometimes visual or light or Bluetooth capabilities. And when it's inserted, then it becomes really hard through the body to actually capture those position or those uh, feedback. How do you do with that? How do you deal with that? Honestly, these bags of meat and water that we call bodies are the worst thing to ever happen to technology. And if we could do without them, it would make my life so much easier. <laughs> Bag of meat and water. Uh, hey. <laughs> Favorite answer? <laughs> I, I, that, that's anytime you combine computing with bodies, you end up with a problem. Um, and, um, and so that's kind of my life. <laughs> and, um, and certainly Bluetooth is a problem there too, because what does radio hate? Meat and water, because meat is mostly, well, radios hate water, meat is mostly water. Um, so yeah, when, when we, like trying to do antenna design and things like that around these things, especially for insertable toys, is a huge issue. Um, that is probably one of the largest uh, support questions I get with this library is like, my toy disconnected. And it's like, well, yeah, probably because it was uh, blocked from, from line of sight from its host radio. Uh, and that's something that like, Right now, one of my main um, vectors of development for Buttplug is working on mobile apps. So far, we've been mostly desktop, like, and that's, it, we, we've actually had to push along Bluetooth desktop technology because no one uses Bluetooth on their desktop. Everyone expects to use it on their phone. Um, and we were just dumb. <laughs> I just didn't want to do phone development at the time, but I, I no longer get a choice in that. So we are working on basically butt plug for mobile now. Um, we have a, a working, mostly working library in Android and iOS, just got to get the app on top of it. Uh, but the idea there being um, that users should be able to just keep their phone on them and that keeps their Bluetooth radio closer to them. Right. Um, this was not so much of a problem for us up until VR a couple of years ago because we had stationary static users and that was fine. So we knew, okay, stay stay at this like direction from your Bluetooth radio or whatever else, you'll probably be okay. Now they get up and move around. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> um, 
And I guess so, that's why I, it affects it, also the, con- the design of the industrial design. And that's why we see some toys with an antenna that comes out. And stuff exactly, like exactly. Especially when, once again, it's in a camming situation or something like that too. So it's like that radio connectivity is someone's livelihood. <laughs> um, so it is important that they, I mean, and also, I mean, so, so there's certainly that professional aspect, but then also there's this usage aspect of when you fail in haptics, you have gotten in the way, or when you fail in haptics for teledildonics or for any sort of sexual activity, you have put yourself directly in the way of someone's sexual activity. That's a large ask for any piece of technology. And when you screw that up, users remember. Um, I would hazard a guess that a, a non-trivial, like tens of percentages of toys probably sit in a um, drawer unused because someone had a bad experience with it. Um, it got interrupted, it, like the, it didn't go the way they wanted and they just never used it again. Um, so with people approaching our library, at least, we are a niche of a niche of a niche of a niche. Because it's like, if you consider the, this whole idea of, well, content creators are 5% of a community or something like that. Well, we're certainly, I, so we can't exactly say, well, we're 5% of people that have sex, because that's more than probably develop all the developers, period, in the world. Um, <laughs> um, the, so uh, we can't say we're like, so we are like 5% of developers that have sex and have um, computer controlled sex toys that know how to hook them to the internet and know our library exists. And so it's like smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And we can get away with more that way because people seek us out. Um, they find out about us and they're willing to put up with us more. But that's why I go and consult for manufacturers because their endpoint is we sold you the product. Boy, I hope it works now. Um, and it, so that bar is much higher for them than it is for us. But it's still really difficult on all sides. That's interesting, Kyle. I think you touched upon something there that um, is really important. It's like this: there can be like a carelessness to like the creation of a product and not really understanding the the real benefit of it, the reason maybe like why someone purchased it. And it goes back to a quote, actually, and I want to say that here in a question. It was from David Parisi, actually. He said, huge fan of Kyle's work and his inclusive, open, careful approach to sex toys. Um, always learning from him. Can you tell us maybe just like a little bit about that kind of approach? Because um, it seems like that's a really integral part of like what you do and why it's working. So, yeah, it's mainly just remembering that your users exist <laughs> and, and the context that they're going to be using your software under, uh, at least for me. Um, so it's like, I mean, I, I, I know what I am producing here. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing is like, I have to both know that and then I have, to, since I'm writing a library for developers, like I'm not the first order of the creation chain here. I'm kind of somewhere back where it's like, I make the library and then someone develops on it and they have a user that uses their app. So I have to kind of teach them my philosophy in this, uh, in developing this too, to make sure that that moves on to whatever the final product is that I may have mm-hmm. no interest in. Hell, I may not even know it exists. So many of our users or so many of our developers are anonymous. Um, and that's fine. Like I do highly do not recommend using your real name with this stuff unless you 
are me um, <laughs> or know all that you're getting yourself into by providing this kind of representation for this technology. Um, but yeah, so with, like, for instance, with uh, butt plug specifically, uh, our developer guide, one of the first chapters in it is the ethics of developing with this library. Mm. Um, like the and ha, like uh, like I I even have chapters in it with, with that are called like empathy for the user having sex with your hardware, like you have to consider the mental state and the social state of your user specifically when they are using this library because that is going to affect the usage and while we are all about all of this technical stuff like bluetooth and radios and haptics and like curve formation for controls and control theory and things like that in the end this still ends in a social context this still ends in sexual activity and so all of that technology still has to build toward the social and what you cannot pull that grilled cheese sandwich apart um so um that's kind of the the overarching idea that i try to kind of shove at our developers whether i'm um actually successful in that i i feel like i kind of have been um but uh it's it's a really it's a different way of thinking like when when you develop a database usually like you're just like okay well i'm going to put data in it like there's going to be strings and numbers and things like that and you don't quite have to get down to this you can get to the social contextual uh contextualness if you're running some sort of really niche project but otherwise it, there's just it's data structures it's storage mm -hmm. it's things like that that are not so much tied to the humanity of your user and the humanity of the usage and that's really kind of what sets us apart um, and it's, it's a difficult thing to convey. Um, but certainly like, that's something I try to do front and center on this. That's even the reason why the project is named butt plug. Like when I first created this, I was like, I, I, I mean, I, I, of course I wanted something funny. Um, but it also, it's just like, okay, well, what's ob like, what, what would make the usage of this obvious, but still be gender inclusive, body inclusive. And it's like, okay, well, we can assume most people have a butt at least um and, and butt plug is fun to say um so there, there's even some in, in and, and and i mean on, on the shit post side honestly i just wanted to see how many media outlets i could get to, to post the word butt plug to um but um uh yeah so there's i mean that thought goes into every part of this be it the the technology the the presentation or whatever else like we have to still consider what the end usage of this is i love that so much thanks for sharing that that sounds like kind of like the origin story we got like some challenges in there uh, that was um that went deep um no pun intended um let's talk future because we are over a little bit of time but i don't care um because this is just so insightful um so in in terms of the future um what number one what <laughs> so I'm getting called out in the chat. Um, what can other companies learn from like sex tech, teledonics that um, maybe they just haven't considered because they just are too stuck in the gray area, like the faux pas? Um, gosh, uh, first off, uh, I, it's the going right off what I just said. It's just thinking about the social context of your user. I mean more and more every day we're figuring this out as we watch how social media is changing our landscapes and everything else and um i, I we, we can't just 
while we have our like um, uh, our larger overviews of um, how social software work, like if we're um, looking like um, at, at Facebook or Twitter or something like that, it's like what what I have is once again a niche a niche of a niche of the, of that, but still it, it this is sort of the the like very obvious version of it though like there's there's no real obfuscation here of what's happening in the end so you don't quite have the multiplicity of outcomes um but um yeah so you, there's ways to kind of take that information like you, the problem is you're gonna have to strip the adultness off the top of it. Like there, you have to recontextualize this information to talk more about social intimacy than physical mm -hmm. intimacy, but the points are still valid. Um, and that's going to kind of take you out of the, what we're sort of used to where it's like, okay, well, it's, this is, here's a, here's a service where you can talk with just words, and now we'll talk about all the problems words can cause. <laughs> um, so, so you get you get a, a bit of a magnifying glass on a certain way that people interact. Now, the issue with that is, though, the future in terms of sex tech is absolutely not evenly distributed. It never has been, and I don't know if it ever will be. Um, the when I started this in like two thousand four, two thousand five. Smartphones didn't really exist. We didn't have an iPhone yet. And when the iPhone did came out, come out, we laughed at it because we were like, who the hell is going to use that? Well, <laughs> so um, the usage models have changed and now more people have, I mean, and people, you could definitely say the iPhone and smartphones in general are a type of intimate technology because they don't come with the gigantic screens that I'm looking at on my desktop right now. So they're already a more focused, uh, more focused uh, interaction with the device, which could for very far ranging definitions of intimacy be called more intimate. And that's why most people use intimate toys with their phones. Um, that's, um, so watching how that changes is good, but that's the thing is now more people have phones, but do they really know they can be this intimate with them? And this also gets really, really muddied with just sexual education in general for us. Um, like we're combining two things that people don't know a lot about, sex and technology. And that is more miseducation or ignorance than the sum of its parts sometimes. Um, and that can, that's a huge problem. Um, so yeah, there's, there's all sorts of things that can be learned from this. It's mostly a question of how do you communicate it in such a way that people don't instantly turn off when you start talking about the sex part. And the really big question here that you're kind of dancing towards that we're all really interested in is like, where do you see this industry in the next five to 10 years? Where do you hope it's going to be? Oh God, um, I'm so worried about the present that it's always hard to say this. Um, and also because I'm really bad at predicting this. I have, that, that, that's the reason I run my own company versus working for one of the big ones um, is watching how 
God, I hate calling none of my users normal, but watching how normal people use this is always a lesson for me. <laughs> uh, because I, I'm, I'm so used to people that are so interested in this that they're going to go reverse engineer a game or something. So people that just kind of pick it up, use the app, and that's it. Um, is It's a, a market segment I stay interested in. Um, but, um, I'm more off on this, like, what are the, like, what are five people doing this for, doing with this or something? Um, right now my major interest is VR, um, uh, which I, I mean, I'm not exactly, I've, I've been a fan of VR since the virtuality days. I played Dactyl Nightmare when I was 13 and it changed my goddamn life. Um, but, um, even so, I can't say that I am like the biggest proponent of VR is going to be everywhere. I think we're like, it's going to turn out to be, a, once again, sort of a niche, uh, just due to all the hardware and space it requires. But um, the amount of immersion and interaction you get out of it and the way that it's changing the way that we control um, toys is huge. Um, a lot of this real-time interaction that's matched with movement, um, and with that sort of like 3D feeling of 3D space is, is big. Um, and otherwise, I think it's just gonna be this, so, so there's this interesting um, sort of gap between um, what's available in the promised land because like what's available right now, we got our Lovins, our Kiru's, our Wii Vibes, our Mystery Vibes, our Handies, all the, like all these like toys that mostly sort of work for at least someone and then there's this like in 10 years we're all going to be like married to sex robots it's like uh, no we're not um that's a that's that that community is a smaller niche than my community <laughs> um, so um trying to figure out the information around that and like how that information is spread um and uh, who's going to listen to that are they going to go ahead and just pick up 11s are they going to wait for like the real doll they absolutely can't afford um things like that um but i i think we're just going to see like the continued slow but steady growth of the market as people just get more familiar with their with their technology with their smartphones and with their own bodies and as the i mean that's the thing too is it's going to be as the next generation comes up and this is like, they grew up in VR, they grew up with haptics, they've already got haptic vests or whatever else. So this becomes, I mean, that's like, that's gonna be another thing too, it's just the comfortable, um, how comfortable is a generation with haptics that are not just their phone buzzing or rumble or something like that. And how ubiquitous do non-intimate haptics become such that moving to intimate haptics is not, the, not as big of a step as it used to be. All right. So, yeah. That's amazing, Cal. Thank you so much. Maybe we wrap up the first part and we get to the, the Q&A. How do you feel? Yeah? Awesome. So I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, you did an amazing job <laughs> at creating FOMO as well. Uh, <laughs> be sure to follow Cal at QDOT on Twitter. Um, and jumping back in now that we've reached uh, the end of our recorded Q&A, uh, it's time to open the floor for audience questions. So for anyone listening to our podcast, you're missing out on the Q&A portion. So be sure to join us on the next event. Haptics Club happens every other week at the same day and time. And just a quick reminder that you can stay on top of our next guest announcements on Twitter at Haptics Club. Our newsletter is in the bio and our brand new website, thehapticsclub.com. So you can stay on top of our latest episodes. 
Um, on the next episode, number 26, we will talk about haptic feedback in marketing and e-commerce with Dr. Margot Raka on June 23rd. So catch the podcast on every major platform like Apple and Spotify. And you can also support us by simply tipping us at ko-fi.com slash hapticsclub, K-O-F-I, um, which is like a little way to afford our daily dose of caffeine. <laughs> so see you in two weeks. And thank you so much for joining. Mm-hmm.